0: Yeah. Are Did you listen, to, a that Did the, you listen to that whole side eye looks Did you listen to that
1: whole Hey Jude track that w- that was shared with us? No,
0: I got i I'm Oh my gosh. Do that. I don't something. I don't want to just listen to it on my phone phone speakers, you know. So
1: I'll, I'll pull it up here after the pod. Yeah, it's uh it's Once uh, you guys leave it it will cool be down. it will be a large a large distraction. Yeah. Um but worth your
2: time. Do it, man. Are you guys um are you guys familiar with Lloyd Miller? Um, up at the U of U jazz, just like the perennial jazz dude. No. There is a, um, sorry, not to like, dude, we're talking dead. I got it. But you guys seem to be interested in this type of stuff. This is something good. All right. Down in Salt Lake City, there is a coffee shop called... Um
3: let's get the tape rolling. It's let's, rolling. It's rolling. We're oh, good. okay. Yeah. It,
2: down in Salt Lake. Ooh, there's a Mark Marindus. Yeah. There's a there's a coffee shop <laughs> called King's Peak. And inside of King's Peak, it's like this old vintage building, is a is a abandoned elevator shaft. And inside the elevator shaft, I don't know the guy's name. Um, he is affiliated with Lloyd Miller from the U of U. And he has filled this tiny space with with pretty heady jazz records. And the he, elevator shaft. I thought you were gonna the say he's doing shaft. a
1: residency in the elevator shaft. <laughs>
2: <laughs> On Sundays, they they bring Lloyd in and it's like a jazz, it's a jazz free for all. It's like, hey, if you're a player, come play and you can play with the man and he Lloyd plays keys and stuff, but um I don't know. It's a very cool scene and it's a very cool um kind of cultural institution that they're that they're fostering down there at king's peak coffee with their elevator jazz record shop slash jazz sundays jazz awesome weekends. wow i need to check that out yeah, yeah. That's very good. i'm in is it just all day sunday or a specific time <clears throat> it, it starts at a specific time and i should have been on the ready with that but um <laughs> it's you know follow their follow okay, we'll we'll look it up yeah follow elevator jazz shop and it'll clue they'll keep you in and and yeah, you could go down there and just you know blow a little bit. Gosh dang, Steve Ricks is kind of tapped Steve, into. I mean, the
0: Provo local music jazz scene. Why why with, is that with, not happening? With the here?
1: Avant Garage,
0: yeah, with the Avant Garage and whatnot. Um, I, and we've got that. <laughs> we got the old Gandalfos there. There's a. I guess I guess the elevator shaft you're talking about is not
2: functioning, right? Just yeah, a shaft. No, it's just an open shaft. Oh, and okay. Yeah.
0: I, I pictured the old the old Gandalfos elevator that has the cage. Watch. It's sort
3: of
2: it's sort of like that. Yeah.
3: Wow. Yeah. No, I know Lloyd Miller's been around forever. Yeah, and he and he's been affiliated with BYU from time to time as well, and taught. Yeah, world music. Right. That whole he's thing. kind of. He's in addition. Yeah, but in addition to you know being into jazz. I, I think he's kind of a forerunner in the in the state of of being kind of an ethnomusicologist and connecting with all kinds of world music and bringing people in. He ha- he had a young guy from uh, Afghanistan that he was hosting and kind of touring around like not that long, well, like ten years ago maybe or, or less that that he brought to campus and did a and I went to one of that concerts. But anyway, that's that's interesting. He's one of those guys that I was like, wow, he's still around. <laughs>
2: He's still around. You should go down there, man, and you, and you probably have a lot to add to the to the ensemble. Ooh,
3: I don't know. I got to practice. Brandon heard me last night trying to make my way through some G blues, you and I hit was that high struggling. got to get that high D energy. I think I did hit a high D. <laughs> Do you have perfect pitch, Brandon? Uh, you heard me talking about a high D. Yeah, I heard you struggling <laughs> to hit it. <laughs> oh, that's right. A musical number? In our church musical number. There was a high D. Yep, I had to take it down an octave. It was too much. <laughs> Boy, I hope you're getting all this on tape. This is going to be great. Per, per yeah. your re- request, we actually
4: Thank
0: are. you. Oh, good. Thank you to our sponsor, Kings Peak Coffee Shop. Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and elevator shafts.
0: And, and elevator shafts. <laughs> and high Ds. <laughs> Lots of great sponsorships coming in. Uh okay. Well, maybe I'll play our our little intro tune just to make it official. We we want Steve to feel like he's he's been officially welcomed.
2: I'm feeling very welcome. Thank you.
4: you
0: What note is that that they're playing right there, Steve? What note is
4: that?
0: Uh, G, whiz. Yeah, do you have oh perfect pitch? Oh, boy. That's the question. In the spotlight. Come on. You make your students
3: do this. I don't know. D. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know perfect pitch. Hold on. Michael Hicks is shaking
0: his head right now. It's like, oh, my protege.
2: <laughs>
3: How, uh, e, I think it's an E. I think it's an E.
2: An E. Yeah, it sounded a little dissonant, a little bit though. Yeah. Was there a natural? What, what was on there? There, uh, it couldn't just be the regular old you know.
3: E. Let's see if I have an electronic keyboard I can call up here and check.
0: Well, we don't, we uh, don't need to spend a lot of time. Good
3: thing on we're this. not in a hurry today. Yeah. The fact, <laughs> that, I mean, we, we reached the
0: conclusion that you just don't know, and that's uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, don't need to go further than that, really. Uh, <laughs> but hey, kick us off, Steve. This is your show. Sorry to ladies and
3: gentlemen. You right at the beginning, <laughs> welcome to Let the Music Be Your Master. My name is Steve Ricks, and with me today I have Brandon. Brandon Arnold. Arnold, yeah, Jason Johnson, and we're very pleased to welcome a guest host today, Steve Kessler. Yes, indeed. So uh, let me do a little intro to the episode, kick it off, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to Steve to tell us a little more about himself and uh, and talk about our focus for the today's episode. So today's episode is. The Grateful Dead and uh, we uh,
0: I'm <coughs> I met this, this s- is that band that would play like play those concerts everywhere and people would follow them around and that's and, yeah uh, that's do illegal substances and that kind of thing right you
3: know about? the so much right you say Grateful Dead I think there's a lot of baggage with it yeah there's the it, when I was younger uh, I I remember three song, hearing three songs on the radio. Casey Jones, Truckin' and Alabama Getaway. Those are those are the three songs I remember from like the the 70s into the 80s hearing them on the radio. And that was other I I knew those three songs and I knew that they were associated with drug culture and I knew that they were kind of this weird band that never advertised and just went around and pe- people called deadheads followed them and and they would just show up, and and everyone would know where they were going to be. And this was, you know, well before the 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 interweb days and everything. So it was kind of it was kind of mysterious and interesting and strange. And uh, you know, of course, you know, and of course, Casey Jones driving my train high on cocaine already. As a young man, you know, I, I'm born in '69, so I'm 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 still probably just you know pre pre-teen hearing that song and just going oh boy this sounds this sounds dangerous that's bad i know i know that's cocaine bad Cocaine is bad yeah. cocaine is bad and that's bad anyway but yeah so i mean the, the the mythology of the dead was kind of with me from a young age but i it wasn't until i got i i, I got a bit older and um was more introduced to them i had a I had a college buddy, Bruce Qualia, at the U of U, who was kind of a deadhead himself for a while, and so I met him in 95 and started... Um, he, he had tapes that, you know, 95 people still might've been listening to cassettes. You know what I mean? It's like, it's early enough into CD days and digit digital days that people still had cassettes. And I think, I think there were times I was hanging with him or even might've had a car that had a cassette player where we would listen to some of his tapes. Especially um, if it was a, a mixtape. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't burn no CDs back then. No, no, no. So, so anyway, that's my whole thing with the dead. So. I I'm met. I'm, I'm gonna. I promise. I'm gonna turn it over, to Steve. Here in a sec. You're doing great,
2: though. But <laughs> I love. I love hearing these kinds of stories. These are these, these are We're, people's personal experiences, however fleeting, are like I think very valuable and like really cool to the to the overarching narrative of the Grateful Dead. So,
3: yeah, I mean, I think that I pigeonholed the Dead and I just kind of dismiss them as okay, they're a jam band, they're uh, associated with drug culture, which is something I'm not. I shouldn't want to support or <laughs> be part of and and also uh i mean the songs i heard on the radio yeah they're okay but whatever you know um it's fine i just lump them in with you know 70s rock or whatever um but then yeah my my friend bruce i think started to convince me and realize wow there's a whole thing here and the, for some reason the world i thought of was like professional baseball like like there are people that There are people that really get into baseball and it's like they, you know, they, they, and it's a long season and every there's so many games and you got your pitching bullpen right and it's a, it's a whole kind of thing of like okay who's going to pitch against who and da, da, da. And, and and some people just get into that minutia and other people are just like ah, baseball man it's so boring you know <laughs> I don't get it you know and so so with the dead it just seemed like I was starting to understand there's this whole world of like live performance and taping and tape collecting and figuring out oh what did they play on this date at this venue in this concert and what or why did they follow oh they started with dark star wow that's weird you know or whatever and jerry garcia pitched a no hitter in yeah, 76 <laughs> in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so anyway i'm i'm about done rambling so steve steve kessler here our guest uh his wife Michelle is a friend of mine through BYU. She's our cello professor and and a friend and and we Steve and I have only met a few times, but I think we were kindred spirits. We're both from Arizona, so that's a connection, definitely. But also, I know Steve is just a, a music uh, aficionado, fan, collects vinyl, et cetera. So I knew he'd be a perfect fit for the for the podcast and and have a, find a kinship here. And he uh, of the many topics, I think I. Pitched to you, Steve. Um, Grateful Dead is the one that that rose to the surface, or maybe it's one that you, that you pitched through your own passion. So, for me, I'm like, that's great. I'm gonna learn a lot. I I'm not I'm not a deadhead. I'm not an aficionado, and I was interested to see what my other pod friends. Uh, know and feel about the Grateful Dead as well. So, Steve, uh, I'm going to stop talking. Let's kick it over to Steve quickly and just, Steve, introduce yourself a little more than I have. And maybe you tell us your story about the Grateful Dead. How'd you get connected? You know, how'd you come to the dead and why
2: are they uh, important to you? Sure. Hey, thanks. Um, and thanks for having me on. Um, Heck yeah. My name is Steve Kessler and I just really like the Grateful Dead. I don't know how much more I can say than that, but um <laughs> We're done. <laughs> we're done. No. Um but yeah, Steve, I really like your story about the Grateful Dead and about how you kind of, you know you know, had a connection with them even in a in a really small, small way. And I always find those kind of anecdotes super interesting. Um for me you know, I've always, like you said, I've, I'm I'm a music collector. I'm a huge music fan. Um, you know, I try to delve into all the deep corners and the esoteric and this kind of a thing. And I think the Grateful Dead kind of found me as I was worming around somewhere. And, um, um, I remember, you know, and you, you, you said you, you, you came about in 69 and so you were, you were able to like um, peripheral experience the grateful dead when they were like very active and and real. And, and um, you know, I was born much later than you. And so I wasn't able to actually be on, be like at ground zero. And so my experience is different. However, still very valid, I think. And um, just because the music of the grateful dead is so meaningful. Um, But yeah, I was, I've always been a, a huge, um, collector and part of my collecting is um is cassette tapes. And so Steve you kind of mentioned you had a friend with like these cassette tapes and how did he get them and where did they get that and that's the kind of thing that kind of came to me um and, and was fascinating to me and um I think I was I was like researching Nakamichi Dragons um you know the famous cassette um player and I was trying to like <laughs> the famous cassette yeah player. the famous cassette player nakamichi is a japanese brand and and they're and they're they have a, all
0: uh, their this decks this a, a step above magnavox
2: very much so oh, okay. very much so but i was research <laughs> yeah they're they're like they're like best they're like best um Their best deck is is called like a dragon, and so I was like, "How do I get it? How do I get my hands on a dragon so that I can, you know, (laughs) play my my cassettes and at at, that, you know, at better fidelity or whatever?" And I was reading articles. So I can get those forty eight (laughs) kilohertz exactly. I was like, (laughs) you know, really get that the bias like (laughs) tuned in. And anyways, in that like going down that rabbit hole, you know. the nakamichi dragon or nakamichi's um decks were like a favorite of of quote unquote tapers um at grateful dead shows and i was like what what is this all about you know and i hadn't really given um the dead a fair shake up until i had i had kind of read this and so yeah that opened up this whole right, world. So are
1: you a teenager at this point?
2: No, I am I'm probably I'm this was probably in 2014. So relatively, you know, within the last decade. Nice, okay. Um my teenage years I spent, you know, rolling around in like punk rock and other other crazy stuff and I was not stuff that didn't require i was Naki not in I, was, order to I was not giving the dead or like these or hippies a chance or anything like that or damn hippies <laughs> yeah or you know kind of as as um steve was alluding to like with his baseball analogy it was just it's like too much you know and then in later in life i w- I very much am, like, trying to get into things that are, like, too much, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the tape trading world and ta- and the bootlegging of concerts on tape specifically, um, you know, I learned about this and was, like, immediately, like, I've got to get some of those tapes. I've got to figure out what this is happening. And this is, of course, well beyond when, you know, tape traders were in their heyday, um, but I had a lot of really great experiences touching bass with those tape traders, and they were super cool and This is all via the internet. They handed me over tapes like, you know I massed like a thousand tapes relatively quickly, and so you know I'm sitting on a thousand grateful dead <laughs> live recordings, and you can't help but like not. Um, you know feel the magic of that music and so that maybe that was a long a long story to tell you that's how I that's how I got into the Grateful Dead and um, It's been it's been a lot of fun Kind of pulling that thread ever since so.
1: and, and one thing that maybe helps correct me if I'm wrong on this But if I remember right the dead were one of the early ones that were fairly generous in letting people Tape right from their right from their mixers right like at the shows. So these tapes, these shows that you're referencing, were not just somebody sitting there with a with a mic capturing it over the air. They there was this whole world of pretty high quality um, shows recorded, and the shows themselves were legendary. But then the secondary world of the recordings was super cool because. You had to tap into this underground world somehow, um, but if once you did, then you got access to both the community and you reference kind of the like the niceness the coolness factor of the community, which is Definitely. notable, but then you also had access to this endless library of pretty high quality recordings of like magic in the moment, these incredible improvised shows and and all of that is is i think really unique in the world of of music which tends to be commercialized commodified etc and then you have basically this free market that really the entrance into is kind of like don't be a dick be interested in (laughs) in cool stuff and you've got entrance in and and now you got access to the whole library
2: i mean you hit the nail right on the head and I'm, i'm really glad you brought this up because for me, um, this this became an infatuation. Where um, how could this band have let people just come in and, and and rip their music? And you know, and this was this was before Napster and before like and before like music sharing was a thing. They were like, no man, like share the music. And um, yeah, you're totally correct. Like at the beginning, before it became big, like people would sneak in their nakamichis and their, and they're dual microphones and they, and they, and then finally the dead said, Hey man, like that's cool that you guys do this and that you're starting this community. And then they, they started selling and allowing tapers to come in and you could buy an actual tapers ticket. And these were like very coveted tickets and they set you up near the soundboard and you could, and you could, you could go there to tape and, um, yeah, and all would, these people would they daisy chain that so multiple. So the could daisy do it, chaining, so like the dais- jockeying for this position. Yeah, so the, da- the daisy chaining Corruption, that you referenced is um, is interesting. So they never let people like, hey, hey, random dude, please. Right tap into my board here that was not like here's a you, you can you couldn't do that but that's not to say that they definitely didn't do they they did do that right and so this was where going back to like you know i'm researching nakamichi decks or whatever and you read these articles of tapers who would go to great lengths incredible lengths to sneak in a thirty-pound deck, you know, <laughs> sneak it in. like weeks before the show. They're planting it. They're running wire. They're like scouting the place, and then you know when the show date arrives and the board is set up, they're sneakily tapping into that board and it like illegally, I, I suppose, but an all in an <laughs> effort to grasp like the truest form of this performance that they know is going to be important. And I don't know that. That kind of initiative, that kind of understanding is like, like, it. It still like really gets my blood pumping, you know I'm like, wow, be, like, that's that's like really on another level, and then these and then these tapes that they would pull, right, so whoever this guy is, and you know I should have had my research because some of them are famous now for their for their grateful dead tapes um you know he he went through great lengths to get this tape he's got a soundboard tape of you know like the famous called, one would
1: be like the Dick's Picks stuff or whatever like,
2: the, the dicks picks that we could go into that differently because Dick Latvala, who is the, um, well, he was, he's not alive anymore, but um, he was the he was the Grateful Dead's archivist, and they recorded everything, so they have everything sound- on the soundboard, and he is like the keeper of that, so he's got all those recordings. So Dick picks when Dick releases his picks, though you can you can tell those are really high quality recordings because they come right off the board, um, which is a little different than the tape trading scene where like. I I tapped into the board and I, I got it and now I'm gonna let everybody else have it. You know, and and it gets a little more convoluted where you could, you know, your buddies could be like, I got a first generation soundboard of like Coliseum in eighty four or whatever, and and then it goes on like, Oh man, mine's only a fourth generation. So the more you share it, <laughs> the less the less, you know, the sound degrades a little bit, but it's still like It's still just this really cool, very nuanced thing. Um, And so, yeah, like if you were to, and I came across a few of these, again, we're talking about this cool community that they're just more than happy to hug you bring you in be a part of this like you're interested in this here here's a first generation betty board that i've been sitting on like and here you go man like enjoy i've i've, I've enjoyed it for tw- i've enjoyed it for 30 years oh i i here you take it now and it's it's really an incredible thing and that was sort of that was sort of my experience um, um the other side of that you know not to talk too much or to get too too you know, bogged down in soundboards, but there is a lot to be said for the guys who couldn't tap into the soundboard and the audience tapes. And this is where I think these are a little more near and dear to my heart because there's just something really incredible about some dude standing out there with his microphones on his little rig or whatever, and he's taping the dead because he loves them, and the band cranks into you know like uh, the first morning dew that they've heard it f- for 10 years and you hear that crowd react on that tape you hear 30,000 people's hair stands up <laughs> and it's an it's an it's it's so it's like you have that music but then you also have they captured that and it's really really cool and that's the kind of thing that really like keeps me like keeps me going you know that's awesome,
3: Steve. Why don't Why don't we play some sort of track, and then also, and then after the next track, maybe we give Jason and Brandon. You guys can each kind of say your piece about what you know about the dead or how you came to them. But Steve, I don't know you. So, so, so I invited Steve to put a, a list together for us. He's got a list of ten. I'm sure we'll hear excerpts of at least some of those. By the way, the list did not disappoint. What a uh... <laughs> <laughs>
1: what a what a oh, great what a yeah. great yeah. So I mean, we could perfectly start, curated list. Not a
3: these these are deep deep cuts. Great yeah, cuts. We we could start with one from the list, or we could say, Steve, what you know is there a Grateful Dead? Track that was your first song you ever heard from them and or or that's the first one that became important to you maybe we could listen to a little bit of that one um, If it's on the list great if not
2: just maybe we could find it yeah that's a, that's a great thing um so the thing so i'm talking about tapes and all this thing and um at Real the time quick, what what's the, is that neil young shirt you're wearing Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, baby. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, I tried to put on yours. my my headiest tie-dye here, and it's, it happens to be a Neil Young.
1: Brandon's going to fight mm-hmm. you for it before he lets you leave.
2: <laughs> you're not taking <laughs> that shirt off. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, it's yours. It's Death yours. match. <laughs> in, the, in the spirit of the Grateful Dead, he just gave it to you. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I like Jason's shirt, too. Corporate rock still sucks. I think we, we got some yeah, yeah, that. anti-establishment vibe energy in the room.
2: <laughs> all right. Sorry. Continue. Um, no, I, 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 can't, I can't really pinpoint the exact song. Um, I was going through all these tapes, right? And one of the things that fascinates me about them is there's always two sets at a Grateful Dead show, and in between the two sets is um, something happens called um, Drums in Space, and that is where the drummers, Bill Kruisman, Mickey Hart, and like sometimes Phil Lesh, or sometimes and sometimes the key player, they just go wild, okay? And they play drums, and they're and they're just like drums and space is the name of this, and it's like kind of like long form drone improvising, just out-of-the-box stuff which is like that was really what i was listening to that's that's really what i kind of gravitate to in my own personal listening is just like far out stuff and i was like i remember hearing a version of drums in space and being like what what band is this like <laughs> i haven't heard you know and it sounded like it sounded like contemporary um you know drone or whatever like experimental music that i was into at the time and i was like what is this and it was the Grateful Dead, and I was like, "This cannot, you know, this cannot be. What the? This is more than just the, um, you know, the hippie counterculture th- thing that they've that that's that's kind of become their brand." And so that was the first thing that really drew me in as far as like these tapes and the songs. But can we uh, find a track? Is there is there something? Uh, yeah, on, uh, you could you could go on the YouTube archive or, and just type in archives. drums in space, and it'll yeah, you'll, you'll have plenty. Um, um, but aside from that, I think. The songwriting eventually wormed its way pretty deep into my brain, and um, the songwriting of Robert Hunter, particularly, um, maybe his song, Broke Down Palace, was something where I was like, oh man, this is going to play at my funeral, kind of a thing. And um, we, we could either d- bring up some drums in space, or we could go into my one of my favorite Broke Down Palaces, which is...
0: I say know, go with your favorite, man. Yeah. Do you want
2: the studio version or a, a live one? The I I did I did link a live one on my on my it's like the third or fourth one down yeah okay third third one down yeah let's do that yeah so this one is um, from seventy one and this was you know very soon after the band released um, one of their you know one of their most well known albums American Beauty which is what broke down palace appears on and so this is an early broke down palace.
0: This sounds like an audience recording as opposed to a soundboard? Absolutely, yeah.
2: Concerning heads out there, that was eight six at the Hollywood Palladium. So, mm-hmm. so this is this is one of the dead's like top hits.
4: Would you say? Or? No,
2: no, not at all. I wouldn't say. Right. I would say. Um, I mean, it comes off one of their one of their less or more well known albums, American Beauty, and um, so in that respect. I guess i would call it a hit but um definitely this isn't being played on the radio back in 71 or 72 this isn't happening for them and um but i think i think as that album kind of grows in its you know in its magnitude of of like pop culture relevance probably all those songs are now you know wildly Mm -hmm. Famous, not top forty. Famous, so you know a little bit of subjectivity there. But famous in the Dead's context, sure. Like if if the if if you go to you know if you you know later in the Dead's career, like if a broke down palace is played at a concert, it's it's a big deal. You know, it's it's a meaningful song, I think, for a lot of people. So, so as someone that's not uh, not familiar
0: with the Dead or their their catalog, um. This this doesn't seem to fit the stereotype of what I have of them. Like picturing them as a jam band with really long songs and lots of soloing. This one seems like a you know shorter ballad harmonies
2: more a CSNY. Sure, type thing. I mean I and it's I mean you're right on the money there. And in, in fact, you know Crosby, Steels and Nash were brought into the studio to like hone in these harmonies because the harmony that's happening on this song and on other songs on American beauty, like addicts of my life is are very, you know, CSNY esque. And Mm -hmm. that's because they were there saying, Hey, Mm -hmm. Phil, here's the note you need to hit. And Oh, Hey, Bobby, you know bob weir you need to you need to you need to hit this octave so we can create this lush kind of vocal performance that is not typically associated with the dead yeah it's definitely more long form um improvisation and that kind of a thing but um i think it's also one of the things that makes them interesting
1: because you have the reputation of the grateful dead kind of like you said that i think is highly influenced by like what the stereotypical dead deadhead yeah. would would be, you know that maybe this aimless person that's following a jam band around around the country, um, but the like at its core, and I hope we'll get into it, and I'm sure we will. Like some of the studio stuff and the songwriting, like these these are accomplished musicians that are highly influenced by like Americana, roots music, blues music, country music. Jerry Garcia has a whole side like parallel career as a as a bluegrass musician and the stuff he was doing with um uh what David Grisman, Grisman? Grisman.
2: Grisman, yeah. Yeah.
1: Any but so you hear like when you do dig into it, I think you do hear a lot of more of that traditional folk and mm-hmm. country and bluegrass whatever that uh, maybe feels a little different than i think what somebody might visualize when they think of right yeah.
0: well it makes it's, me wonder if it's similar maybe maybe similar to Neil Young's catalog in a way where like you know i might picture Neil Young as down by the river right that kind of song long yeah. long stuff but yeah. then actually half of his songs are more like Uh, they're bops you know like yeah they're just totally not that's a bad so is is the the dead do they have like is it like half and half do they have i think what you're hearing
2: here and maybe maybe broke down palace is one of my favorite tracks wasn't the best like entry for you know as the dead but because there's many there's many versions of the dead right and there's many phases that they go through there's like a whole like there's a whole like disco dead phase there's like there's just a lot of like eras and the era that we're particularly looking at and that you have very much tapped into is kind of their cosmic country era and so the albums working man's dead and american beauty which were both were released in 70 those are those were kind of you know considered or at least put lumped into this whole idea of like cosmic country which in 70 at the time was not you know it was not like a you know a, like a well-established genre like there's country music and then there was mm-hmm. you know maybe more psychedelic music but the melding of it was either happening right then and there and these albums were released in conjunction with that and so they can kind of be lumped in as like yeah these are some of the first cosmic country albums which i think i mean i wouldn't i'm i mean i love neil young like I wouldn't say like Neil is cosmic country he's kind of all his own but but he also is is not far from it either you know and so maybe that sort of kind of brings it a little full circle to your to your observations um maybe a little context with with the dead
0: um what like when when are they starting how long do they go for
2: what are the band members like yeah so they start in like 65 and they're just kind of like this jam band in san francisco and it's like hate ashbury full-on scene and this is this kind of um vibe follows them their whole career you know of the counterculture hippie um movements all these things and Um, one of the tracks that I have on, on my list is, you know, from 66, I think it's from 66 where we start and, you know, they get roped in with a guy called Ken Kesey, who, you know, is a very well-known author and everything. And they're, and they're dropping acid and they're listening to this local band from, from the Haight-Ashbury called the Grateful Dead. And yeah, they're just doing drugs and, um enjoying enjoying the music and the music is at this point a little more rough around the edges a little more bluesy oriented but still very um very deeply psychedelic and that's kind of where you know our intrepid heroes (laughs) springboard into the universe from is from (laughs) dropping acid with ken kesey and (laughs) all this kind of thing so
3: yeah um side note when i was at the university of utah we had steve reich guest composer there maybe you guys recognize that name you know he's no, a minimalist composer and mm-hmm. he kind of you know hit his stride in the bay area in the
2: 60s him and, and phil lesh went to the same school Is that what I was, was yeah I that from yeah they
3: so so part like some in in his lectures at One of his lectures at the U, I don't know if maybe it's because I was with my friend Bruce, and maybe he mentioned he was a fan of The Grateful Dead. And Steve Reich talked about, I think it was Mills College, being at Mills with Phil Lesh. And Phil Lesh, like, played trumpet and was writing this very, you know, experimental but technical uh, kind of european avant-garde sounding music like carl heinz stockhausen and stuff but then yeah. it seems like kind of a far cry from being the bass player for the grateful dead but then when you're talking about these cosmic drum <laughs> interludes and stuff Absolutely. maybe it's not quite as far as i i realize you know maybe there's some some carry over there or whatever but yeah there's a whole scene happening there that that it's interesting to think about the people that springboard from what's going on in San Francisco in the 60s but yeah and then
2: how long did they go for uh they went till i mean they're still going so <laughs> some, some iteration of them has continued yeah but jerry garcia dies in 95 and so if we're talking like core 4 core 5 jerry garcia dies and that sort of is obviously a seismic shift in in what they continue on to do but but they do continue on um in semi-iteration even to this day obviously like the zeitgeist of dead and company um is 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 a has become a a sizable in my opinion a sizable chapter in in the his in you know the histories of the grateful dead so um but yeah for most for the most part for the grateful dead that we're talking about now jerry garcia dies in 95 and and that that kind of ends that party so to speak so so is that when people like stop following him around on tour or do they still have i mean they they follow them around even even now big time and so i, I yeah it's hard to i guess it's, there's a lot of i just don't hear about it anymore so it must be. yeah maybe not i, I mean, it, mean it, yeah it's i'm also there. not a
0: teenager anymore so maybe that's i why. mean the teenager <laughs> i
2: i the, the so the people who fall around the grateful dead now are still very vibrant very alive like that whole scene and that whole ethos that continues on is I mean it it might even be at a high point right now and it's a beautiful thing and there is if you're interested in that kind of like um, DIY devotion to a band like this is this is the richest ground that you could that you could possibly find and um, it's still very much happening Um, with with any iteration of the band so you have dead in company you have um phil lesh and friends you'll go if you go to a phil concert where it's just phil lesh and whoever he wants to play with his friends he has a band and they're playing grateful dead tunes there will be you know a a quote-unquote shakedown street happening in the parking lot Um, and that is to say um, people will be following that around they'll be vending and selling artwork and um all kinds of things um in the parking lot to to support to support themselves to support the their love of the band and to support um their following you know the gas money kind of thing so that's all still happening at dead and company shows at at phil shows it's happening at Cover band shows. Yeah, this, this band, and I, it, Australian it is, Pink Floyd. It is. It's very so. funny, but at the same time, I think there's like a really salient point here. Is, um, you know, as amazing as of a human as Jerry Garcia was, as amazing as a songwriter John Perry Barlow and Robert Hunter, who were the two main songwriters for the Grateful Dead, and who have both passed on. Um, this music that was created by these guys is has become bigger than them, and wherever it is played, people will follow it and it 's a beautiful thing you know and so you could go to Detroit right now, and there 's a cover band playing and there will be somebody vending <laughs> something you know there 's a grateful but dead band cover band playing wherever and there 'll be somebody somebody there spinning, you know, somebody there selling something and somebody who might follow them on to the next show in Sheboygan. And it's like, they're following that music and it's, um, you know, it's, it's a unique thing. Hey, Jay, I wonder Jason and Brandon, if
3: I know each of you spent a little bit of time with the list Steve sent around. And so I wonder maybe each of you could pick like, your favorite song from that list, or just a song from that list that that you have something that, that connects with you in a certain way that would, that you could talk about? Yeah, I might pick go off list. I'll, I'll answer fine. the the <laughs> first question
1: that that you brought up earlier. Just br- I'll try to be brief. I guess my experience with the dead. Um, I I became aware of them. I'm a '90s kid in the '90s. Classic rock was, was like a huge. Staple. It feels like there's always kind of like this 20 year gap. You see it in movies. You see it in, um, you see it in youth culture as well. So in the 90s, Steve referred to it as 70s rock. We typically call it a classic rock. Was like a big staple of 90s culture, right? And so my initial awareness was the kind of the hits, quote unquote, that were part of 70s rock canon, classic rock canon. Truckin', Casey Jones, Friend of the Devil, um, and then I remember going in, and I bought a Grateful Dead album. I got the Steal Your Face uh, live album, which it turns out isn't a great album, but I loved the cover. I thought it was a cool, iconic cover. And I listened to it, and it, it was kind of like, whatever. Then in my... I hope this isn't sacrilege in the world of, of the, the dead, but this is my experience um, based, on, based on my age. In the early 90s, I really got into Fish. And um, I saw multiple fish shows, and I kind of fell in love with the community of these fish shows, and I was so fascinated by it. And I started to realize that there was this overlap in kind of in jam band. To me, it fans. kind of
0: seemed like they, they had received the baton.
1: There was a little bit of a baton, like but then totally, totally, at the same time in the '90s, almost all the. fish most of the fish fans i knew were also fans of the dead but i felt like at fish shows i was getting a glimpse some glimpse of at least like what my generation's version of the dead show was which was very much community based you would show up they people were very generous with their food with their drinks with their drugs with their music but the thing that was i think most striking to me about a fish show and i think it's I think it's one of the things that's probably common with a a dead show is you could go to a fish show and I think I've seen fish. I don't know. Maybe eight or 10 times, you go to a fish show, and on the you could look one direction and you would see a fan that was completely drugged out that would just like be spinning in a circle for two hours. And <laughs> Spinner- I'm not exaggerating, and it's the thing, and they're in heaven, they're yeah. like that is heaven. And then you could look, turn your head in the other direction, and you could see a fan. That is a a music aficionado that is completely intellectually stimulated by the music, by the musicality that is happening as well. And so, there was something universal about the language of the music and the culture of the show that somehow was there was something for everybody. And then that jam band element where they could take a song they could take an improvisation and extend it out for 20 minutes um somehow seem to vibrate at like a uniquely human level where you could if you went to a show or if you get just sit down with like a live album you can get lost in it so easy and there's something just like Deeply human about it I don't, I don't know how to describe it But being at, at a jam band type show Is a, a really cool experience that way And so that world Kind of a fish Got me into Government Mule The Allman Brothers The Grateful Dead And and there was this Really interesting thing about the music That was going on That was creeping into the culture The lifestyle And it was so fun And it felt so authentic and so generous and so kind. And, you know, obviously there's, there's perhaps (laughs) I don't know. Everybody has their own opinion on, on, on the lifestyle or whatever. But when I would go to a show, I always felt welcome, and these were—they just felt like deeply kind humans that were that were just there celebrating this thing. It, it's a really cool, really unique experience.
0: A little different than going to a straight edge show.
1: Huh? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Totally. And so, and so it was fun. So I made just kind of a brief list, like five, uh, seven things of that I think of with the with the Grateful Dead. Um, i think of their live shows those are those are a staple and that was like i think that's one of the big maybe discussions in the world of the grateful dead is like is there a studio album that captures the live experience you know what's the difference are they two separate bands uh whatever there was also this lifestyle element where you had counterculture and you just had kind of like free living following it and the kind of the pursuit of of that of that Freedom and that lifestyle. There was the community element, like this kindness, this generosity, which was a big part of it. Um, there, one of the other things that maybe will come up, but that was a big part of it is the. Covers, playing cover songs is a big part of Grateful Dead shows. They, they regularly paid homage to what inspired them, and there's certain covers that almost became part of their canon, which was cool. And that was a common thing with Fish as well. Like You're always interested in any show, like are they going to do a cover, or are they going to do several covers, and, and what's it going to be? Um, I'll just pick one song. Sorry it's not from your list, but we, no, we could circle back. I think this one maybe hits... Maybe the Venn diagram of a little bit more mainstream, but also capturing capturing some of the live pieces. I'm going to have you go to a this was a studio release of a live performance. It's called Europe 72 Live. The picture on the front is a, a guy smashing an ice cream cone on his head. Yeah, it's like the, like a famous live album, but they released it. So this wasn't a, a fan release um, Play. This is one of their early hits, uh, "China Cat Sunflower," from that album, and I think this is a nice capture of the performance, the live element, but also some of the musicality. And like this, this is classic Dead for me, that just somehow like resonated deeply with my soul.
0: Steve, can you run us through the lineup of who's playing on this? Who does yeah. what?
2: Yeah, so the lineup changes you know, throughout throughout the history of the dead. But right now in Euro 72, um, we have Bill Krutzman on drums, Mickey Hart on drums, dual drums. And we have Jerry Garcia, the lead guitar player, who is also singing on this track. We have Bob Weir, who is the rhythm guitar player. And we have the God Chaws, which is... Donna Godshaw is a backup sing—not a backup singer. She's a singer for the Grateful Dead, and we have Keith Godshaw on keys. Um, and that is who is on this performance right now. Who's on bass? Oh, I'm sorry, Phil Lesh. Okay. A guy named Phil Lesh. A guy named Phil Lesh is on bass. You know. hey. has, has he always been on bass? Yes, Phil Lesh is the yeah is the only, is the only bass player. Everybody stays static in in um, they stay. Static in the band Except for the key player And Donna Donna gotcha. Um So There's a Quite a few key players Who come through And And then Donna Eventually stops Is that what
3: Spinal Tap's Riffing on a bit I guess that happens In every rock Absolutely. band either. Absolutely Absolutely Vim is, Savage is, No that is No I guess the drummers Are the ones that keep dying For strange reasons But That's right Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Never mind So Jerry and
0: <laughs> Bob Ware Jerry and On guitars Bob Yep uh, And this song is Jerry Doing that
2: intricate guitar lick while he's singing. I mean that is that is that I love this example that you picked Jason. I mean, that is that's that's Jerry Garcia's it's, guitar tone. It's that, his that's why exactly why it's, I picked
1: it. It's the encapsulation of what jerry garcia did
2: just
0: and if you listen that, to him i know i was always stands out to me. like it's same thing when i saw primus like less claypool able to play that kind of riff while singing but like
2: <laughs> you could pick out you could pick out like a claypool riff like you could you could just pick it out of anywhere uh-huh. and that's the same thing with like that jerry tone that Jerry syncopation, you could pick it out of a lineup of a 100. You it, it, know.
1: Exactly, it's and there's a fun, there's a fun, 2015, they did like their farewell tour and Trey Anastasio of Fish sat in for the Jerry Garcia part. So there's a 2015, I think, Chicago live performance of this song where Trey Anastasio of Fish is doing the Jerry Garcia part singing and playing, but he's playing it. And Trey, in my opinion, has as distinctive a tone as Jerry Garcia does. And it's super cool to feel hear those worlds kind of combine and hear him take this kind of iconic song and put his piece into the puzzle. Yeah. It's fun. It's a fun world, and it just goes on and on and on.
2: He did an amazing job on those farewell shows, and you bring up an interesting point about, um, you know, Jerry Garcia dies in 95, and there is, you know the vacuum opens up it's just this massive loss to humanity and um but the music continues because it it's its own monster at this point and like the idea of like who's gonna fill jerry's shoes who's gonna do the jerry duty um who can do it becomes somewhat of like a peripheral question and like um in all the iterations of Grateful Dead stuff—that's always like—that's always kind of like who, who's who's doing Jerry duty. Oh wow, they got Trey Anastasio, um, that's really cool. Or when Dead and Company really started to put together a bunch, you know, whole tours and stuff, and it was—and it was John, John Mayer. Mayer. I know there were a lot of people who were like, "Can this be?" You know, or a lot of people, a lot of John Mayer fans were really excited about it. But a lot of like, there was like a whole, you know, you can't you can't press any, every, you can't like. That please everyone. So there was probably quite a few people who were doubting John Mayer's ability. Oh, I did. That
1: That absolutely changed. I did a 180 on John Mayer. I was so down on him. i, I, I not probably not a surprise because I kind of felt like he, talented. My opinion of Mayer was talented guy that sold out,
2: right? Sure. I mean, sure.
1: That was my opinion, whether you agree with it or not. But then when he did, I had to stop everything. Damn it, because of Dead and Company, and I thought, and my my stupid brain, my lizard brain went went. Um, well, if uh, if Bob Weir, if Bob Weir's willing to pal around with John Mayer. Then I probably ought to give him a chance as well. <laughs> yeah. and it, and he's a damn good guitarist.
2: He's pretty. He's pretty good. I I I probably would say I was close to your opinion as well. And I thought, oh, you know, this is—is is this a business move? Like they gotta sell tickets. They put or...
1: the "Your Body Is a Wonderland" guy with the dead. But <laughs> no way.
2: But he really is an incredible <laughs> player. Like on all, I think you know, on all technical levels. And um, when Dead and Company came through Salt Lake City a number of years ago you know, I was, I went, of course I went. And, um, and yeah, man, John Mayer put together one of the most beautiful Roe Jimmy's, which Roe Jimmy is a song. Um, and he, he, he sang the lead on it and he played the lead on it and it was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever heard. And so he's doing it and, you know, he's doing, I, I think I think Jerry's happy with it, you know. I think so.
1: <laughs> one, one, other note I'll throw out on Jerry Garcia, and then I'll, I'll throw to you, Brandon. But Garcia probably um, underappreciated or underrated in what he did, as far as like um, really getting into like customizing equipment and stuff, like his guitar rigs, his, um, his, his whole setup. Really incredible. Like he was. He was had these just beautiful custom guitars that he was playing um i think a lot of like kind of modified sgs but well they're early on but then even
2: more i mean it's even past that like because um you know he started out on on a stratocaster called alligator that was the name of the guitar because of a sticker he put on it but then he had these guitars um commissioned they look a little bit like sgs um but they're they're not they're not modified sgs they're they're a guy, fully
1: custom, right? They're just
2: fully custom rigs. A guy named Doug Irwin who who was like not a luthier, like but he like I don't I ca I, I, I you could look in and see the story of how Garcia and Doug Irwin cross paths, but this guy named Doug Irwin builds these guitars that become like they're famous, you know, they're now they're they're Garcia's guitars and they they're one of a kind, you know. And it's like so it is like the custom rigging, but too to a totally another level like this is, it, there's one of these one of these guitars like
1: <laughs> right and back to that diy yeah. like idea it, it's all the way down into their music their approach it's just the whole thing there's so many layers to it it's super cool yeah so earlier when
0: you were talking about how you know the dead's still going and even has has this following at cover band shows uh my my reaction was like oh it's kind of like christianity <laughs> oh and no! But, yeah, but, but then the more you talk about it, like it, it does feel like you know there's this band element, but it, there's also this religious element. Like, sure, at least the the way that the community is, and and I guess now you have some some splinter off groups, some some people that that
2: didn't didn't agree with John Mayer being the, the new pope or whatever <laughs> you know this is a really great um this is a really great thing that you're picking up on and if i was to levy any kind of like criticism towards the grateful dead universe um and this has been talked about in documentaries and things so i don't want to make this seem like this is just my opinion but i, I just agree with this idea um as the grateful dead start really chugling and just like like Deadheads and the following becomes so intense and the crowds become intense and there are a number of um you know instances in grateful dead history where there's like there's like crowd control problem and obviously anybody who becomes this famous has problems to deal with and um this deification of jerry garcia you know has 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 um consequences right and you know jerry garcia was a heroin addict and he was able to function for a long time playing at a high high level on heroin um but then you do have to kind of like take a step back sometimes and wonder how much of how much was he coping with this fame that he was not looking for right This guy's, this guy is looking for world peace and to play the guitar. That's all he wants. And he now has, you know, people chasing him down the streets. He can't go outside. Like he can't live a regular life. And, you know, did that, did that, you know, is that like the paradox that took him away too soon? Or did, was he coping so much that he like, that now we don't have Jerry Garcia on planet earth with us anymore. Um, and so that would be like the one thing where like, yeah, people got very into the grateful dead maybe maybe too much you know that seems like i'm the grateful dead guy in the podcast i shouldn't be saying that but maybe maybe some of them did you know because because well now he's dead and and it, it caused a lot of problems for him you know so mm-hmm. um uh, fame's i guess that's the fame monster you know it's it's i don't know if there's any other way to like be be that awesome as Jerry Garcia (laughs) and not be famous. Like you have, like, is it possible to have it, have it all, have it both? I don't know. It's just how fame works and it's kind of tragic. But I do, I do really think it resonates with your Christianity um, 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 comparison because people were like, this guy is God, you know, this is like, we're going to follow him wherever he goes. We're going to do whatever he says, you know, (laughs) and it's like, wow, that's cool. But it's also like, ooh, maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: like, I remember I I don't think I, I thought of it in this way at, at the time, like when I was a teenager, but later, like looking back, like I think uh the way that I approached music as a teenager I was I I think I was treating it religiously. Sure. And I was going to shows in the same way that uh that other people go to religious meetings. Yeah, like looking, looking for kind of you're the same thing. You're looking for salvation, man, I was or looking whatever for salvation. I was looking salvation for community, looking for words of wisdom communion. from the sing- singers, looking for communion. And you know, there's even some kind of uniform. You know, you put on your army boots or whatever for yeah. getting in the pit. You put on whatever you plan what shirt you're going to wear. Um, so, it, in you know, in my experience, it was more of a general thing, like going to shows and music in general but it seems like for the dead specifically they're more than any other band or group i think has that as as far as the fan base you know
2: feel feels spiritual yeah kind of what jason was was tapping into a little bit ago of like you know there is a whole group of people who go there to spin like and, and to spin in circles and it is a meditative shakers it and it, it is a thing. They're but they're there to com, to in their own way to use this music to commune with a with a higher power with a spiritual thing. I think most people who are fans of the Grateful Dead or who are who are deadheads that that really follow the band, they're it's a spiritual thing. It, they're not doing it for um you know they're not they're trying to connect with something, you know. So i guess that's part of the double-edged or there's a double-edged sword here of you know jerry garcia being deified and having to deal with the fallout of that but then also being part of this thing where people are spiritually like connecting in it's not just what a cool song it's much more than that you know Mm -hmm. so yeah fascinating stuff yeah, man, it's getting deep. But Brandon, pick, pick a tune or okay. give give us
3: an intro I'll, to a
0: tune or something. I'll pick a tune. I uh, kind of, kind of like Steve Ricks here. I uh, yeah, never never really got into the Dead. I I knew of them all growing up, and of course there are plenty of people wearing their shirts and and but they by by the '90s they weren't getting played on the radio ton. so I didn't have have a chance to hear a lot and. Um, what I, what I did, I guess, didn't, didn't speak to me at the time. Um, but just in going through, through the songs this week, uh, this one stood out to me. It was one that it's called touch of gray. Uh, is this, would this be one of their hits? Do they have hits? So Basically this is
1: their only hit.
0: This is, is a it?
2: huge hit. And you're saying in the nineties, how like, uh, they, you know, they were around, but like this was. The touch of grey hits the MTV, you know. They they the had, a
1: music, they had oh. a music video. Music video that this, they weren't in. <laughs> this this
2: this signals to like millions of adolescent kids that there's a party going on and this is like a whole nother <laughs> this is a whole nother wave of uh-huh. deadheads who become who become immersed in Grateful Dead and, and the magic that they put out based on this song that you're about to play. Yeah,
0: so so like when, when this came up in the just the YouTube algorithm of when I put in Grateful Dead, I'm like, "Oh, this is Grateful Dead. I've heard this before." So, I think I just this hadn't, was. not realized
1: it was them. The only song they made a video for. I don't know how many songs
2: charted, but this was one of the few that. This the, one definitely charts. This is, this is as far as I know the only like official like Grateful Dead music video That's, because it came because it was during that whole MTV yeah. time and. But the video's funny. It's so stupid. It's just it's <laughs> it's like doctor's office
1: skeletons with wires playing instruments. That's it. <laughs> It's <laughs> so dumb. Right. Well, we'll hear this. <laughs>
0: It feels much Much poppier Than what I normally Associate with, sure. with the dead yeah. But I I really love the That chorus especially It's so uh, Just feels so So generous And And it just feels great and that, <laughs> that
2: little What's that That instrument
0: That
2: That's just that Brent Midland keyboard Just um, He's So he's He's the keyboardist Who replaced um, Keith Gotcha And Just doing his little thing His little magic as well yeah. Um, this song is kind of fun it's this song, you know when you, when you get as big as the Grateful Dead you're bound to run into some gatekeepers you know and as um, Touch of Grey hits the airwaves and it sends off this whole new wave of deadheads there's a lot of people who are like oh man this isn't it uh you weren't there in 72 (laughs) kind of a thing and this album was 87 yeah Mm -hmm. like i I don't know no one has time for that but that but that that's just part of that's just part of the whole thing and so like i think there's a lot of people who maybe look down their nose at touch of gray or even fans who who are fans because touch of gray was their entry point but man just like you said like you know you weren't you're you weren't like a grateful dead fan but this song did resonate with you and um that lyric and those chorus those words they mean something and i just think of you know robert hunter who wrote this song and i'm just like man what a what a beautiful thing to write you know and then these guys put some music to it and it's just unstoppable mm-hmm. um but yeah like i'll as far as robert hunter lyrics go i i mean those are those got to be top of the heap they're just so good <laughs> they're so good yeah and
0: great great harmonies and it's just a great tune a great tune's a great tune i say there you go. <laughs> but but i i did wonder like is this the dead's like equivalent of metallica's
2: black album like if Maybe, they if they see it as it, selling out or like getting too popular the, the thing about this is is it, it might be right that's a great comparison i think um but there was there is no selling out here like cuz there is no like there's no top 40 there's no none of that but and and the other side of this is when they bring this into the to a live setting oftentimes touch of gray is like sandwiched in between some very deep improv- improvising jams and stuff and so it it becomes something else in the live in the live world
1: i think hmm. they were uniquely self-aware where this is probably different than the the black album is the black album was uh, i mean major producer attached to it and then it had multiple hits this is really probably the only hit off of it i would imagine it sold well because of this but i think even the video itself was somewhat tongue-in-cheek like poking fun at the fact like they intentionally didn't appear in it i i I think they were uniquely self-aware to themselves, the music and their fan base, and the fact that this was a little bit of an unusual phenomenon for them
2: yeah i don't think i don't think they like Robert Hunter wrote this song, and then Jerry put it to the melody, and then they were like, "Wow, but we got a hit on our we hands got like, a that, banger that was not that was not part of the thing. I think they were probably more surprised than anybody else that like all of a sudden yes. like you know it's all happening again, like you know, all it <laughs> you know so like all, the whole resurgence is happening based off this song. I don't I think they are the most surprised out of everyone. So <laughs> Yeah, well
3: I I can still even though it it is a little poppier maybe in the in the production and the in just the tunefulness, the catchiness of the of the chorus. But you still hear the that kind of counterpoint that's happening between Phil Lesh and, and Jerry's guitar, that picking, those those running lines. Totally. That just kinda of blow me away when I've been listening to these longer jams you sent away where it's like Jerry doesn't stop. He just keeps going. He keeps going and he's singing and then he's not singing, and then he's soloing. It's like, Oh my gosh. Twenty minute song, you know, or twenty minute you know, nonstop three songs in a row where it's just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is crazy. Uh, Anyway. um, Well, yeah, of this, of this list that you sent around, Steve, I, I loved uh, Terrapin Station in that one you sent. And so I'd love to hear a couple excerpts from that. The opening of it um the, the opening section first of all it I, I haven't done like a detailed analysis of it but in listening to it and trying to get a sense of like wow okay the the let's let's see what's the clock time of the one you sent us so it's, this is the first Terrapin ever played. It's, oh, right. It's 12 minutes. Okay, so that's not super long, but, but it's like... Yeah, we'll just listen to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean... <laughs> but it's kind of like, it, it in, in general, it's kind of in two halves, right? It's got this first big section, which has its own groove and vibe, and then it kind of goes a little slower and shifts into this new thing where they actually say the words Terrapin Station and stuff, and then as it goes towards the end, and there's no the they get rid of the singing and it's just that instrumental groove that that's really interesting.
2: Yeah, it's like it, this is an uh, this is another Robert Hunter song and it's and it's like it's kind of like a three act Shakespeare play <laughs> and the music the music supports all that as well with right. its, with its with its varying like motifs and whatnot. But lyrically you, you follow along. It's it's kind of. Shakespearean, <laughs> and, you know. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Sort right of a thing.
3: Right. Well, the first, the first half of the song is built on these two repeating five-bar phrases. Is what I came up with, and so I think as you listen, you can tap your foot along to the beat, and and you'll hear it's just in four. You know, it's just in four four, and there's there's five bars of four, and then another five bars of four. But within that, the, the way they accent and have these lines, it had me fooled for a while. Like, I was going like, what the, is that 5-8? Wait, no, wait, was that 6-8? And then, oh, wait, da-da-da, da-da-da, boom, you know. Okay. There's this little lick that happens at the end of the first five bars that's kind of like the, the turnaround before you repeat, the before you get to the start of the next five bars. It's just so, it's so catchy, but it's almost like, it's kind of like Led Zeppelin Black Dog or whatever. You can sing along with it, but you don't know how the heck <laughs> to count it or what they're doing. So, that's both the beginning and in the end section also. Anyway. Not this. This is like a vamp, but then once they get into the singing. Oh. Okay. There's the top two of the next five bars.
5: <laughs> <laughs> the looks of him who came through many fights but lost in love. As the teller speaks, a dove in the fire creaks suddenly flies over and a girl.
3: It's Sneaky. <laughs> yeah, that one. Like, it's it's kind of like threes against four or whatever. Like, you're, or just you're tapping your foot to that quarter note, but then they kind of do these little patterns of one and uh, two and uh, that cut against the the regular meter, and so it's. In a way, it's a simple, subtle effect, but it's it's very effective. And it just kind of gets this... It keeps the music flowing in a certain way, where overall you can tell when the start of the next verse happens, but in between, it's very fluid. And also, just it's also just like, you know, the running lines of the guitar and the bass and everybody mixing together, too. But that's... I love that rhythmic thing. And then if you can skip towards just the end, probably like the last... 3 minutes or so you'll you'll we'll get into another section where it's it's repeating and there's a groove and you can tap your foot but if you really try to say wait where's the downbeat you're going to you're going to keep getting fooled <laughs> Goes.
1: I I love that pick. I think it represents exactly what I was saying. You can be completely intellectually stimulated by it, like just figuring out what are they doing, or you can completely lose yourself and just spin in circles to it. (laughs) 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 Either
2: one. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and even in that, even in this take, like I'm honing in on what Phil's doing on that bass, and I'm and I'm so it's like there's always something else to look at, like where you're counting meter, and I'm like and then I'm trying to follow along, but then I'm like, well, what is, what is, what's Phil doing? You know? And that's also sort of one of the reasons, um, this is, this is a live cut and like, you know, the bass is kind of, kind of loud in the mix. And so you're able to do that. You're able to key in on different musicians, depending on where the taper was standing in the stands, who decided to pull this thing off, you know, off the ground. And I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah. I, I really dig this tune and it, uh, this is another one that kind of goes against my my preconceived uh, notions of of what the dead is because um, in my um, oh spacing on the word but in my in my imagination of them I, I picture them as a, a jam band that's kind kind of like the long Neil Young songs but without the emotion. That's like what I, what I had in my head like. I I don't picture them doing a a cowgirl in the sand or rock in the free world just like going crazy like that. It's more like feel good, just noodle around. Um, But I don't associate them with like intricate, complicated kind of stuff like this. Like this is this is what drew me to Iceburn, who we, we talked about last time is it's got that that improvisation and it's got the sense of every show is different but also the songs are really complex, and the the way that the the timing works together, and the different different instrument parts, and so the, yeah, this is fascinating hearing them do this. For stuff. me, the and maybe the, this is more typical than I than I imagined. It seems like
2: it's pretty typical. I also, I've also I've always wondered how many people like saw the Grateful Dead logo, you know, the skull, lightning, like th- thirteen point bolt oh grateful dead oh okay i'm gonna listen to this and then was just so wildly disappointed that it wasn't awesome metal music you know, like, <laughs> right how is this like you know because it it does it it kind of guitar is not even distorted well what, it's crap is going <laughs> on? but like it sounds like it should be you know the grateful dead like it sounds like it should be black metal, yeah, awesome metal. brilliant iconography
1: but as far as like you said the emotion part to me that that was that's always one of the most exciting things you know pick your jam band the ones that are really good at it almond brothers fish grateful dead is like in a 20 minute extended jam it is usually taking you through a series of emotions and the dead i think were particularly good at playing with meter, or playing with tempo adjusting ma- making really drawn out crescendos and as you get caught up in the music your it, it is your emotions are following it, and it becomes really exciting, like really exhilarating, and really easy to get to get kind of caught up in, in all of it as it as it goes. And it is it's Shakespearean, I think, is a great a great um, description of it because it is long, lots of lots of arcs going through
3: it, and it takes you through this kind of emotional journey with it. Really masterfully, it's fun. Hey, I want to I wanna hijack Steve's next pick or attempt it. He can obviously subvert this. But uh, on the list that you sent us, Steve, the one that it was cracking me up, um, there's a three-song sort of juggernaut from... Uh, so this was going to be my pick as well. I'll combine it with yours, Okay, Steve. 83, this um, Help on the Way, Slipknot, Franklin's Tower, that's just... And and you said when you first heard it, you were an Escalante and you almost drove off a cliff because you were so enraptured by the by the experience or something like that. Or maybe not. Maybe that's not the first time you heard it, but it was a time you were well, listening to it.
2: No, I put that one on here because this particular version. So like I mentioned, I have a lot of tapes, a lot of bootleg tapes of the Grateful Dead. And so I tried to as methodically as I can go through them. And um, my family and I, we used to have this old Toyota Camper. And, um, if you haven't seen a Toyota camper, they're like mini campers just put on the back of like an, like a nineties Toyota chassis. Okay. And so in this camper, we're cruising to Escalante and it only has a cassette player, which is fine by me. I I really (laughs) love cassettes, but I loaded up my playlist of tapes that I hadn't, you know, gone through yet. And so, um, and so, yeah, in this, in this handful of tapes, you know, I get, um, what is the show? I get Madison Square Garden, eighty-three, and I'm just cruising down that part of, um you know, Escalante. I'm sure we've all driven like it's like scenic highway twelve, where you get on the part. It's like Devil's Backbone, mm-hmm. and like both sides coming them, down from Boulder. Yeah, coming just coming down Boulder Pass, and like, and then both sides of the highway just kind of melt away, and you're just kind of on this like you're just on the road, mm-hmm. and. At this point in time, I think we were like, we were well in, we were like getting through help on the way and we start getting into the motif of, of Slipknot and I'm just white knuckle in this thing because <laughs> by the time we do get to Franklin's Tower and especially towards the end where like you think that they're going to end the song but they don't end it they keep they they like they actually like crank it up and like Brent comes in on the keys Midland comes in on the keys even harder and they go they just keep going into the refrain like roll away the dew i was i was a little worried for me and my little family at that point because i was so into this music and it was and it's just not it's a great memory for me cuz you know driving listening to the grateful dead with your family on a road trip is is fantastic but i was like i was like this is this is too much rock and roll right now man like i i, I have to focus I, if, on driving like, right if here. i could pull over i would but like there's no shoulder yeah. on the road you know and that's, i
1: i imagine you'll play the live version i'll just throw to add a little context so this 3 song juggernaut is is actually the same order that it comes from on the album it comes from yes. B- blues for all uh, right this three song section is probably my favorite studio section of of the whole grateful dead library blues for all is i think my favorite album it's it is a, a singular piece of art but this particularly this three song stretch is just wild I love the studio version and and I love this um, live version as well. This is a like a, a special a special moment in, uh, in in Grateful Dead. Where where do you want me to start?
0: Library.
2: This? I'm not sure <laughs> where to start. I the... mean, if you start on uh, Help on the Way, and then I would say fra- fast forward to the end of the 15 minutes. Great um, Franklin's Tower, and you can kind of envision me like trying to hold on for dear life. <laughs> yeah, start at the beginning.
1: Let's see where it goes. This.
5: i don't know.
3: This might have been the first text I sent out last night where I was like, Who's playing lead? Is this Jerry? Jerry. I mean, which shows my ignorance. Like, I, I haven't even seen a video of him playing live to know, but I'm like, Dang, that's some good playing. But, and just, I didn't realize that he was, I knew he was the lead singer in the Force in the band, but I didn't realize, like, these chops he had as well, the guitar chops. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, dang. And it, does, it doesn't stop, just
0: keeps going. I'm learning all kinds of stuff from doing doing this podcast over here. <laughs> you know well absolutely christopher cross is an amazing guitarist and jerry garcia too I, I, yeah
3: I'll do they ever pair up is there a, a bootleg <laughs> tape <laughs> somewhere i honestly
2: i don't know of one but i wouldn't be surprised yeah. the, the amount of characters that come in and out of the grateful dead universe are wide and varied like um down at byu a couple of years ago they had branford branford marsalis came yeah. who is a Grateful Dead acolyte, you know, and like he toured with them for a while, and I, I went, I went and saw him at BYU just for that reason, because I was like, this is Branford. Obviously, Marsalis brothers are, you know, incredible. What they yeah. do. But I was sitting in the, I was sitting in there. I almost yelled out, "Dark Star, man!" during the <laughs> performance, <laughs> because there is some, there is some really great dark stars. Where Branford. Is on the stage playing with them. <laughs> wow. So yeah, there's a. They, it gets, the characters of that come in and out are pretty varied. Okay, so now we're we're into Slipknot.
3: Is this the one where there's a crazy modulation where it just goes so on? Let's see. That was around three, th- help on the way, three minutes in, but that's all right. Should I go to the, the end of Franklin's Tower?
2: Yeah, get in. Yeah, go to Franklin's Tower. <laughs>
3: We think it's gonna end. Yeah, you think you think you're okay. <laughs> you think you're gonna make it. <laughs> I only got three more miles on this <laughs> narrow road. I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna be okay. Oh no, oh no, they're not done. That little plucky sounding thing. Those are the keys, I guess. Yeah, some kind of
2: synth sound or something. Yeah, it's. Some people don't like the Brent Midland keyboard because <laughs> he's playing. He does a lot of weird like effects that it sounds like a. He's playing on a child's, you know, Plinko toy, keyboard kind of thing. (laughs) But I, I love this part because you can tell they're kind of thinking like... What do we do? <laughs> who, who are we going to follow? Is this right, like right. is this going to be Bobby who takes us into the next? Like what's happening here? Like and it's that's part of the the Grateful Dead experience is like wanting to know what's going to happen and not wanting to miss something spectacular, you know? Um, and that I I just think they do it so well, like because they could end it right here, but they won't. <laughs>
0: was your wife and kids able to appreciate this moment on on the drive
2: i think they were kind of Worried as well, at least my wife was. I think she was like, Hey, turn this off. (laughs) Let's just get dad's dad's got that look in his eye. Just turn this off for a second.
3: (laughs) You can listen to this tape at home, man. Let's let's focus. That's funny. Well, what I what I wondered is 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 that you know, I don't know the song well enough to and and know all the verses to know is that like a last verse that that he hadn't sung yet or was he repeating something he'd already sung that was the
2: last verse okay was, so so doing.
3: even though so maybe but, the, f- the structure of the song itself was such that everyone knew well wait a minute we still have one more verse but there's still that anticipation like when's it gonna happen well it sounds like they're winding it down are they just gonna end the song here it, 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 that's the thing it's I don't know enough about a to know would they ever end a song without singing a verse or sometimes, I don't know.
2: sometimes they would play like just help slip and you wouldn't get the Franklin and you'd be kind of like what the heck man <laughs> and so y- you kind of ah, never knew okay. what was gonna happen that's okay, so the
1: beauty of the improv right basically keying off the audience and off each other yeah. um, but the, the studio version is really exciting as well mm. uh, the, and that is absolutely the last verse the, it, I don't know why it made me think of hearing you describe the live. The fish used to do, probably still do, but they would do this audience experiment. They would put a, a beach ball out into the audience that represented each instrument in the band, and then the band, the band member that instrument would f- would play following the beach ball that represented them, and so the audience became part of the performance by how they hit the ball and then it was represented in what was being played on stage and they're all trained musicians and they made it they made it really cool but the de- that i think it's it's part of that lineage of these jam bands combining their performance with what the audience is doing and how the audience is responding and making that all part of the improvisation it's it's uh, they're just cool
2: fun moments yeah it's a unique energy yeah it really is um yeah, I, I don't I, I don't know if there's any instance in the Grateful Dead universe where the audience is, is included in that way, but um I always kind of feel like um these set lists are never really and I I could be wrong, there's probably somebody out there who knows knows, but like the set lists are not like predetermined and that they're always picking up what's in the room, you know, um that they're in. And I prefer to together. believe that. Yeah. I
1: that's kind of the story well, I, I don't, told I, myself. I, as
2: far as I know, and you know, everything Everything on planet Earth has been commodified by the Grateful Dead. You can get, you know, Grateful Dead silverware or whatever, but there are no, there are no set lists floating around like that you can buy because I don't, ah. I don't think that that's. You know. Wow, you would think there'd be one. I know, you, you know,
3: <laughs> if if they made set lists, you would think. Some it would surface. I mean, so I it know, seems like that's
2: good evidence that that's probably true. They, I know, just, they if, just go with yeah, it. Yeah, if you're know. following the dead, like like Bob Weir, he'll post like the set list from the night. And um, so I think they're using set lists n- maybe now currently, but like in '83, I don't I don't think there's a set list. I think they're I think they're looking. I, look, I think they're all looking to their neighbor like who's gonna who's driving this train you know <laughs> <laughs> who's gonna who's gonna take us somewhere where we need to go if so this is this is from 83
0: and like if you went through the the all the other recordings of 83 on the on this tour is there like a ton of variety in which songs they play and
2: yeah totally way? totally i mean there's definitely some reoccurrence because a lot of the uh, like some of their most famous songs drop out of rotation for like decades and then they come back and those are some of some really amazing recordings like when they when they play the first you know dark star in nine like hadn't been played for decades and then all of a sudden there it is again it's like a, a monumental moment but um i think as far as like the tours go um you know this one is not too far i think what blues for all is like Eight, like seventy nine or something, um, and so this is an eighty three, and so maybe those songs are still in, kind of in their fingers a little bit more. But, but yeah, like the idea that you could go to a Grateful Dead show and hear your favorite song, um, you know, Saint Stephen or something, was always like you're hoping that happens. And I say Saint Stephen because that was one. That's an earlier Dead tune that was that was like put away and people thought it would never be played again but you but you'd still kind of hope Mm -hmm. and then one day eventually it was and it was like the whole house came down you know um so anything could happen
1: it's one of the cool things i i think also that carry over i hate to keep referencing a a band that's not the grateful dead but that's my (laughs) reference point because it was my entry point and it was like i was like living vicariously through these dead shows through fish shows but those those What they play and like your memory of it, and to be able to say that you were there. So like I I I saw like a semi-famous fish show where their encore was they did the whole Dark Side of the Moon um, album start to finish, and to be able to say you heard that is like this this particularly cool thing. The same thing exists in the the world of dead, but then what starts to happen is you have you have your radio hits, and then you have your like these sacred performance songs that you just hope you might hear. And maybe you will, maybe you won't. So, like Dark Star, I don't know. You could probably count on one hand how many radio stations ever played Dark Star, but it is this sacred, like, live song that you would hope you would hear because it facilitates just this kind of special improvisation. And so, it becomes, like, the canon of these bands becomes really unique because of kind of that hope and also that that cool factor of maybe we're gonna hear this thing. I don't hear it on the radio, I'm not gonna hear it on M T V and I may or may not hear it live, but if I do hear it live, I, I know that's going to be a, a cool moment.
2: Yeah. Also just piggybacking off of that, like you have these these rabid fans who are, you know, connecting on a on a pretty deep level. And they're wanting to hear their favorite songs. And everybody's favorite song is different, right? Like, um, you know, the song that I might be wanting to hear, like hoping to hear is totally different than the song you're wanting to, hoping to hear. And so everybody kind of has those. But also, they're going to so many shows, right? And they're collecting these songs. They're collecting these memories. And so, there could, there, you know, I'm sure there was a guy in, in 83 or whatever or in 74 who was like, man... I still haven't got that. Um, I still haven't got that. I'm trying to think, pull one out. Like, you know, I still haven't got that black Peter, which is um, black Peter is like just a, it's like a ballad that Garcia sings. It's like really it's re- beautiful, you know, and like, Oh, I haven't got that. I haven't got a black Peter yet. So I'm hoping to kind of collect that, hoping that comes to me in this next show. and it, And it could, and maybe it wouldn't and maybe you would go years without getting black peter but then eventually <laughs> gotta catch them all it comes to you yeah and it, it becomes a personal collection kind of thing and um there's something really kind of cool like that because i don't think like i don't go to you know shows now and think oh man if they don't play this i'm gonna have to go to the next one and hope they play <laughs> it again i don't care right like I, I i care about whatever band i'm seeing to to a degree but not to where i'm, I'm collecting all of their songs personally to hear you know
0: that's a great point. I'm like that with Iceburn. <laughs> I still I still want to hear him play Flyswatter. I've never heard him play Flyswatter live. Come on. It, Come on, Iceburn. Next it, show. Gentry, if you're listening. It Flyswatter. Let's do this. It
1: sounds like it may be on the table. They talked about a, a live performance yeah. of the whole
3: album. <laughs> Is that Brick or no? What's the album? Just the one after Face it. This. The Face yeah. This. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I know we had some time constraints. Are, yeah, you we, know, are we to a point where we need to wrap it up? I feel like we need another. You want me to, here, <laughs> another couple hours? A, you know, you want me to throw out a track? I, I won't even talk about it or over it. Uh, here is
1: kind of a fun one, a little bit of a change of pace, maybe some uh, some reggae influence. Play a uh, "Fire on the Mountain" from uh, "Shakedown Street." I, I think uh, a fun a fun song that uh, shows some of the, I guess, influence and ability of of these guys musically I dig this one
2: Final, final pick from, from you The final pick for, for me. Up yeah, we can wrap it up. Um, I, I love "Fire in the Mountain." By the way, like that era, or just those tunes where they kind of, um, you know, they throw something different at you, and it's it's just so. It's just I don't know. I guess I'm beating a dead horse, but it's just so enjoyable to see what what they're gonna do next. You know, um, for my final pick, and just you know to kind of like try my best to put, you know, put a bow on this whole thing because I I will say like, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm the special guest here, but I am no like grateful dead academic. I'm just a fan. I just really like them. Um, and I sent you guys a list and I'll be the first one to tell you that it's widely inadequate, right? Like there are so many things that we weren't able to touch on that are important. Um, and it's just not possible with the time constraints. This is the whole universe is of the Grateful Dead. We could have spent we could have spent the whole podcast on seventy two, right? Like if we wanted to, so I just want to admit my shortcomings. But in an effort to to wrap this thing up, I want you to play. It's the it's the last track on my list, and I guess I I put it there for a reason. It's just a special track. Because by the
0: way, we'll we'll put links to the all the songs on this list on on the website. Yeah, this so list
1: is incredible. It was a, a very very impressive. Uh, I said it
2: before, but I mean it. It was a really impressive list. I appreciate you saying that. I tried to keep it just kind of like a a smattering. Of the hist- history of the Grateful Dead, so it's not necessarily all my favorites, but just more of a great representation of them through through their existence. And we got to end with um, with the last with the final Jerry Garcia show, which was seven nine ninety five, and it takes us to um, Soldier Field in in Chicago, and this is the last time Jerry Garcia, the great guitarist, takes the stage um, with the Grateful Dead. And the song that means a lot to me in this whole set, there's a lot of them, but, um, the song black muddy river is what, is what, um, I'd want you to cue up. And it's just, it's just a beautiful Jerry ballad and, um, Robert Hunter penned and, um, Jerry will shortly go into rehab after this. And he's, he's, he's dealing with those demons that we sort of talked about and he doesn't win and you can kind of hear it in his voice that he's given it all he's got, He's given it all to these people who love him, and um, it's it's a beautiful thing to hear. So this is Black Money River, the final, the final one. When
5: the last rose of summer breaks my face and the hot sun chills me to the bone, when I
4: can't
5: hear. The- I will walk. of my own When the last open sunshine hits dark.
1: goosebumps yeah yeah
0: what a tune what a great song and a great moment yeah like you said yeah it's
2: beautiful right you yeah. can tell he's it's all there like um forever he's just very present you know and he's giving it all yes yeah. it's, it's a it's a cool thing to see and th-
0: this is late in their set it's a, it says it's track 18 of of this concert only only two others after um, you
4: yeah, can probably which, hear it in his voice. This he might
2: have been sounds tired. I I can't tell where where the encore comes in. I think they they did two encores on this show, which is which is also like wow. But this might be the first encore. I'm thinking maybe some some grateful deadhead's gonna come out and be like, hey man, it's not the encore.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> get your back straight. Get us in trouble. <laughs>
3: Our listeners go deep, so I'm sure that will happen. We'll get hate mail from an obscure deadhead fan in China. I don't know No, We're big in Kazakhstan right now. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, so's the dead, I think. So we'll we'll, we'll anyway. Well, it's thank like- yeah. Th- oh, sorry.
2: Go ahead. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Steve Kessler. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate. Yeah. I really appreciate you having great. me on.
1: I think you did the subject. Very, uh very well. You did a justice. Oh my gosh, we didn't even mention the Jerry Garcia band. There's a it, there's, no. there's too much, but you did. I think you did a great job facilitating a, a conversation about a, I think weirdly, I, I think I musically, I think they're underrated. I think they're. I think their reputation got so big. Oh, here's a great comp for you. I, I think it's similar to the Wu Tang Clan. I think the uh, the reputation, the idea of it. Exists almost separately from the music itself to the point that the music is almost passed over and it's it's underrated It's really good. It's a beautiful community. And I think you represented it uh, very 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 gracefully.
2: Thank you for saying that and I I agree I think um, And this is is a hard thing. So I don't I don't don't, not I'm not faulting like Grateful Dead Corporation or whatever. (laughs) They're they're all doing their thing. But yeah, like the You know, someone said the iconic iconic iconography is like this huge thing and it it, and it does kind of it it kind of has a mind of its own it might supersede the music a little bit I, i do want to end saying that you know bob weir right now is kind of at very much at the helm of what is the grateful dead now and he um i love bob weir i think he's a special human on planet earth and um he he's running this thing and he he just kind of recently came out and said that he's like it's his his outlook on this is that the grateful dead will be you know relevant still being discussed 200 years from now which is kind of hard to like even imagine but that's the way he's approaching what he does is that like that this is that you know jerry garcia and robert hunter and john perry barlow and all these guys are important and they're it's not just they're not only important in this in this musical niche but like they're 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 important throughout you know time and history, and that's how he approaches it like that we're going to be doing these things, and people are still going to be actively engaged two hundred years from now with the Grateful Dead, which is mind boggling but I think that's a really cool perspective and does um does kind of put into um context like how important and magical this music is so awesome
0: well, thanks so much for for being here. And thanks to everyone that's tuning in. Well, let's, uh, let's send us out with... Uh, this track's been mentioned a lot. How about we go with Dark Star? Please. From uh, live at Fillmore West in 1969. We'll be with you all next time.
2: Thanks.